Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Rebecca Buss, Managing Director of Elite Care Solutions, a registered domiciliary care service based in North Lincolnshire. Rebecca, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, we might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? It means a strong person that is there to lead a team um, to make a successful business within the domiciliary care framework. Um, and I do believe that you know leadership and management is very, very important to the running of such businesses with the experience behind them. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Um, I'm an open person, honest, uh, very transparent, and have lots of experience that I can share, um, and and believe that this this is cascaded through our team. So within uh, your own business setting, I'm sure that it can be quite challenging at times. Sometimes people aren't at their best and that may uh, prove a bit stressful for some of your staff. How do you manage staff stress? Um, we have an open an open door policy for staff um, and we, we appreciate that their own personal lives often, often impact on um, their role as a caring person within a support worker within our community. Um, and and we, we have um, strategies in place and obviously facilities in place for them to be able to come and speak to management around um, mm-hmm. information that's affecting them, um, w- which we can support them with um, in terms of mental health issues or anything that affects their daily lives that can impact on their role in the community to provide a good support to people. Now, of course, there's the other side of the coin there. Uh, Being a leader in business, of course, involves leading people and people aren't always, uh, as I said, at their best. And uh, sometimes um, conflict arises. How do you handle conflict? Um, again, it's a one-to-one discussion, um, and and it's about being open and honest um, with each other about about what we require as them w- within their role, which is part of their induction process, and they they understand the culture within our role um, and within our our business is more about supporting each other, and there's there's a job to do at the end of the day um, within policies and procedures, and you know we can be flexible, we can be open. Um, but at the end of the day, we have got to meet the client's needs um, and somebody is paying for a service and it's about providing that quality and those standards whilst we're out in the community. Whilst we do accept that people do have off days um, and people, you know, we, we sort of have to be flexible around that and give some leeway, there is there are limits to that as anybody in the HR process. Um, but this is why we don't have lots of um, turnover of staff because of our, our culture within our organisation. And it's not just about looking after the people that we support. It's about looking after each other too. It's important to have that sort of uh, comprehensive collaboration between staff in a, a business such as yours, of course. Um, well, let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you first started your working life. Were there any influences on you, uh, whether from uh, someone who is a, a leader within uh, that organization or a set of circumstances that form the way that you lead today? 
Um, my career started within social services and the private sector initially before I actually set the business up. Um, and I worked for the council within our local area um, in children's services and in child protection and fostering. Um, and I think there were there were several leaders um, within that role that I sort of picked snippets out um, from them to think that this is how I would want to be a leader. And I do public speaking. And I think naturally it's around that being a personable person to somebody and being genuine and compassionate. And I think um, sometimes it's very often not what you say, it's how you say it to somebody. And it's about those communication skills. Um, and I think over my years of career um, and people that I've come into contact with, I think it's very important to actually look and reflect about how you behave towards other people. Um, and I've also seen how people, um, you know, people in roles that I actually do not want to be like as well, that I've actually been supervised by. So I think that is very important too. Well, people seem to forget that uh, bad leadership has as much of a, a hand to play in the making of a good leader as, as a good example. Uh, gives Absolutely. you, of course, that example not to follow. Um, now, when it comes to new people entering the field, uh, do you have any sort of mentorship programs uh, for those individuals? We do, yes. And, and that is part of the role because following the induction process, um, the role is very difficult. And I see the role as a professional role in the community. Um, as we all know, you know, it's very important. Lots of people stay at home um, and want to remain in home. And I think the perception of the role in the community of the staff um, care staff that do support people in their own homes can be perceived as um, a very unskilled and um, unprofessional role. Um, and I don't believe that. And I, I am an advocate for my staff and the services that work in the community because it's a very, very important and very difficult role. Naturally. Um, and I think absolutely. And I think, you know, we have we have mentorship schemes. We have, you know, buddy systems in place where people can actually talk to each other. So you've mentioned uh, that there is sometimes a, a rather negative or uh, um, unfavorable image of uh, home care workers within uh, society at large. Um, what can be done to change this perception? Um, I, th I think the government and, and everybody's perception um, has, has a role. To, everybody has a role to play. Um, and I think it's very important that we're home support workers and people that do work with people in their own homes are seen as professionals and, and it is seen as a professional role. Um, you know, our staff are highly trained. Um, there's not a lot our staff within the community can do with actually that a nurse couldn't do. Um, and I think it is very, very important that, you know, people see the staff as, as an, an integral part um, to society um, and, you know, within that. And I think the training needs to be there for people. I think experience needs to be there, um, you know, and people need to be seen um, as professionals, like I've just said, within the community because it is so difficult to actually, um, to actually encourage people to come and work in this sector. Um, and I think, you know, as we know, we need 400,000 more staff within the next so many years and to be able to encourage people to actually come into this, this sector um, it has to be seen as desirable to people um, and that a training plan is in place and that there is you know, continued professional development for people and this can be ongoing. Now of course uh, a big part of continuing to develop staff and uh, develop uh, the image of any sort of organisation is effective communication. Um, do you have any uh, 
PR strategies in place to cover this? Um, we we do, and, and at the moment we're you know within the local area. Um, we I sit on um, lots of partnerships with the local authority and the centre of excellence and and people like that. And um, we've been really fortunate that um, the levy um, has been shared with smaller businesses in this area. Um, and I think that is very very important about those partnership working um, to actually be able to um, you know facilitate extra training within the local colleges and you know within our area because as we know local businesses struggle to pay for um, you know the, the right amount of training that people need um, and there is obviously a deficit within that there is the care certificate which skills for care are involved in um, which is the initial stages um, and we also work in partnership with a lot of the, the primary care nurses and people that do work in the community anyway and um, so it is about that partnership working too about finding resources um, and sort of being innovative with it. Now, before I let you go, because unfortunately our time together has drawn to its close, um, do you have any words of wisdom for those just entering the world of work? Um, I think if you are a caring, compassionate person that believes in looking after people um, in the older sector or people with disabilities, um, please come and have a look. Um, because the perception of this role in the community is, as we say, the connotations are quite negative. Um, and I think don't ever think that you're not able to come and do this because this is a very skilled role with, and, and you require certain characteristics to be able to do this. Not everybody can work in the community um, and not everybody can undertake the roles that are very, very important to support people in their homes. And what does next 12 months have in store for Elite Care Solutions? Um, we will continue to develop our staff. We have more staff on training um, to do in their um, apprenticeships through the levy. Um, and um, we, a lot of our staff is, is about continuing that professional development. Any any new um, you know um, disabilities that come out, it's about research and and all of those things. And within within the inspection process, making sure that we can deliver the best service that we can, um, and that we are desirable to people within North Lincolnshire. Um, and I think it is about that quality service um, uh, in place within the area. So it is a choice for people to come and be supported for certain people. And I think we want to be in that position. Well, Rebecca, it has been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. And I very much hope you come back in the program at some point in the near future. Rebecca, thank you. Thank you very much. Nice to speak to you. That was Rebecca Buss, Managing Director of Elite Care Solutions. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, just... yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, <laughs> one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really 
messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62 four years before the final when I played and so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player if you like not as a, a guy in the same age group as me and I looked at how he how he uh, trained how he acted how he behaved and how he played and so he he would say I would also say he was a big influence on me one thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, 
Uh, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about our friends, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with, with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people... And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alpha, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly... Um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing... Um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final and it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position and somewhat fortuitously I only got back in the team because of a a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. 
And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out now. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard nosed professional uh, top quality people. And that was again the leadership that Al showed, he, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." <laughs> so that—I've uh, been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, to just had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. 
what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but I, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... It would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is. People must realise that that's, that has an influence how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently, since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. 
he's the best example of management I think we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's ast- absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today yes I think so I think yes no, mm. no question at all I think they uh, Ron Greenwood yeah well, the, the answer straightforward answer is yes um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if 
these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm. I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.